Good morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. This morning we're going to be studying verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. This is the sixth week in our sermon series on wisdom. We've titled the series, Real Wisdom for Real Life. And in week one, we looked at this concept of wisdom. In week two, we looked at trusting the Lord and how that's part of wisdom. In week three, we looked at choosing the right path and how that is imperative to have wisdom. We looked at guarding your heart in week four and enjoying your sexuality in week five from chapters five, six, and seven. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the skill of working diligently. So we arrive at verses 4 and 5, and this is the text of Scripture. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. About five weeks ago, I gave each of you a music album titled Walking with the Wise. And on that album, there's a song titled Lazy Bones. I want you to listen to the words of Lazy Bones. Have you heard about Mr. Lazy Bones? You can find him sleeping on his couch at home. When there's work outside for him to do, he's working hard to find another excuse. Mr. Lazybones tells you he's afraid, never ever finishes the plans he's made. When you want his help around the house, you can try to find him, but he's never around. And this is the chorus. Lazybones can help us see what we never want to be doesn't have a hope or a clue. I want to tell you, that's that's the half of the chorus. But in that half, and in those first two verses, what we see is the truth about laziness in the book of Proverbs, and that is this. It is laziness is the active rebellion against God through the passive approach. To work. It is the active rebellion against God through the passive approach to work. <coughs> the song goes on to say, when we work to please the Lord, God will make our plans secure and He'll be glorified in all we do. See the busy ants working all the time. No one has to tell them how to stay alive. Getting ready for winter days ahead. Gathering their food until the time comes to rest. It's really a great song, and I'm sure your kids are enjoying it, but what that song does is it encapsulates the priority of diligent work and the shame of laziness. If laziness is the active rebellion against God through the passive approach to work, then diligence is the active obedience to God through the enthusiastic and excellent approach to work. I'll say that one more time. Diligence is the active obedience to God through the enthusiastic and excellent approach 
to work. I want to say this, and I want you to hear it. Your work matters to God. Your work ethic matters to God. Your attitude toward work and your application of work reveals a lot about what you worship and who you prioritize in life. Now there are four clauses in this passage. The two on the outside address laziness and the two on the inside address diligence. And so we'll take the passage in that order. I want to give you four basic principles about work that reveal whether or not you have a heart for the glory of God and the joy of all people or a heart for the glory of yourself and a disregard for the joy of all people. And so may the Lord help us as he reveals these four principles to us. The first principle that we see in this passage is the emptiness of laziness. The emptiness of laziness. The proverb says, a slack hand causes poverty. A slack hand causes poverty. And the hand is the basic instrument of work, right? Most people work with their hands. And this word slack, it literally means loose, not tight. It's a figure of speech that means lazy or negligent. And so a slack hand is a person who is lazy in his responsibilities. Now, if you notice, we would expect that a slack hand wouldn't make anything. It wouldn't cause anything. But look, it says a slack hand causes poverty or produces poverty or brings about poverty. What is poverty? I mean, most of you know what it is, but for you children who don't know what poverty it is, it is, it is the condition of having little or no money, little or no resources, little or no means of support. It is a deficiency of the basic needs of human life. It is inadequate food, inadequate clothing, inadequate shelter, inadequate health supplies. That's what poverty is. It is not a good thing. Poverty is not good. Today I've brought along with me a gardening hoe because I want to, to illustrate the concept of what this proverb is saying. If my job is to de-weed the garden with a hoe, and I hold this hoe loosely, and I, and I, and I dig in the garden indiscriminately, not looking at the difference between weeds and vegetables, or the difference between weeds and fruits, I will either not get the weeds up out of the garden and they will end up choking out the plants or I will abuse the plants, potentially damage the plants and they will ultimately die. And so if I don't, if I don't, if I don't focus on what I'm doing and I have a slack hand and I have a loose hand, then ultimately I'm going to have no crop. I'm going to have no harvest. And if I have no harvest, I'll have no food. And if I have no harvest, I'll have no way to sell my food at the market. And if I don't sell my food at the market, I'll have no money to buy clothes, to buy food, to repair my roof, and to end up being able to provide for my family. Now, that's the picture that's being painted here. And the writer is saying, if you are lazy in your work, you will bring poverty on yourself and all those who depend on you. 
Through the years, I've interacted with countless strangers who have approached the church for financial assistance. The fact is, part of our mission as a church is to help people in need. And so what do I do? I sit down with people who approach the church for financial need and and ask them questions. I ask them questions about their life, about their circumstances, about their family. And I just want to tell you this morning that sadly, about 70% of the people I've met with are in poverty because they're lazy. They have a slack hand. And the fact is we live in a culture of lazy people. We live in a nation that both encourages laziness and rewards laziness. And church, I just want to tell you this morning that lazy people are empty people. They're empty of motivation. They they wake up in the morning with no drive. They are empty of vision. They have no goals for their life or for their family. They're empty of worship. They have no desire to work hard at worshiping God who is worthy of worship. They're empty of resources, of course. They, They have inadequate resources. Now, I feel obligated to say that not all poor people are lazy people. There are millions of hardworking, honorable people who are poor and in need of financial help. But that's, that's not the point of this proverb. And I believe that it, I believe it would take the intended sting out of this proverb if we go on and on about that. Because the proverb's intention is to say that a slack hand causes poverty. Laziness is not the passivity that it pretends to be. Laziness is the active rebellion against the lordship of Jesus Christ in which a person who is lazy says, this is about me. I want to be served. I want to have a throne and a kingdom and I want people to love me, serve me, do for me, uh, do everything for me on my behalf and I don't want to work because in working I realize that it takes effort and effort is something that I don't want to give because I want this life to be about personal glory and physical comfort and neither one of those things happen when I work hard for the glory of God. Folks, I just want to tell you that laziness is emptiness and we need to be warned. Some of us really need to be corrected this morning if we have a lazy spirit about us. The second principle that we see in this passage is the fullness of diligence. The fullness of diligence. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. The hand, again, of of course, refers to work. This word diligent, it is an interesting word. Really enjoyed studying it this week. It literally means sharp. Sharp. The words used in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 15. God is speaking to his people Israel. And he is telling them how he is going to use them in order to bring glory and honor to himself through their victory. And he says this to his people. He says, behold... I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, 
and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. Now, threshing sledge was a, a, a sledge. It was a flat thing with, with holes in it or either pieces of glass or stone that were very, 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 very sharp. Why? Because the whole goal of the threshing sledge was to separate the grain from the chaff. It was to separate the actual vegetation, what was going to be used for eating or some other productive from that which was going to be thrown away. It's a threshing sledge. It threshed things, one thing from another. Well, that word sharp right there is the same word that is used right here in Proverbs 10, verse 4, for diligent. And so that's that's why when the writer says the hand of the diligent makes rich, he's saying that the hand of those who are careful, those who are excellent, those who are precise, and those who are thorough in their work, will make rich. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you're diligent, you are careful. You are not haphazard or thoughtless in the work that you do each day. You are excellent. You are not mediocre. You are not average. No, you are excellent and you pursue excellence in all things, whether it be at your workplace or in your home, whether it's training training your children or listening to your parents and following their instruction. You are excellent and you're precise. You don't have the mentality when you do a project at home or you do a project at work, you don't say, well, good enough for good enough, government work, good enough for government work. No, you never have that kind of mentality because you want to be precise in all that you do. And that precision leads to thoroughness. It doesn't leave some things undone. No, it fully and faithfully accomplishes the task that it was set out to do. That's what it means to be diligent. It means to be a careful worker, an excellent worker, a precise worker, a thorough worker. And what does that carefulness and that excellence and that precision and that thoroughness do? It makes rich. It makes rich. You see, the diligent worker doesn't become rich accidentally or coincidentally. What this proverb is saying is that there is a direct connection between diligence and wealth. The diligent worker produces wealth for himself and those who depend on him. If poverty is the condition of having little or no money, little or no resources, little or no means of support, then wealth is the condition of having a lot of money, a lot of goods, a lot of means of support. Wealth is having an overflow of the basic needs of human life. Now, if we go back to our illustration of the garden and de-weeding the garden so that the vegetables and the fruits can, can continue to develop, continue to grow, and ultimately become ripe for harvest, I want to tell you that if I'm diligent, what I do is I first consider my goal. My goal is to get rid of these weeds, to preserve these plants so as to have a bountiful harvest of fruits and vegetables. And so what I do is I survey what needs to be hoed and what doesn't need to be hoed. I look at the boundaries of the garden. I make sure that my my hoe is in good working condition. And then instead of having a slack hand, a loose hand, I I grip 
the hoe firmly. I bend my knees. I use all of my body. I play close attention to the thrust into the ground so that I don't damage the plants. And then I go deep enough into the ground in order to get the roots of the weeds, if at all possible. I then gather up the weeds, and then I discard them entirely from the garden. And I don't do this merely once, but I do it regularly in order to preserve the biggest and the best crop I possibly can from this garden. You see, this proverb is saying, if you are diligent in your work, you will bring wealth to yourself and those who depend on you. My grandfather, James T. Limbaugh, was a great gardener. His spring garden was huge. It was about 50 yards long and 25 yards wide. And let me tell you something. He took absolute joy in tilling that garden, planting that garden, maintaining that garden, harvesting that garden, enjoying that garden, and blessing others through that garden. I loved staying out with my grandparents on June days. We would go out to the garden, say, Ryan, come on with me. And we would go into the garden and we would look at the the various vegetables and fruits that he might be growing. And he would take his little handheld shovel and we'd get down on our knees. As we got down on our knees, we'd be looking for potatoes down in the ground and he would start digging. And then he would, he would say something like, oh, what do we have here? Ryan, what do we have here? Oh, oh, let me see. Oh, yeah, this is a beauty right here. I'll tell you what, Ryan, why don't you take this potato, run it back into the house and tell Mima to cook us some homemade French fries. Man, I would just get so excited about it, and I'd run back to the house, give her the potato. I'd run back out to the garden, and then he would he'd take us over to the tomatoes, and we would find the biggest ripest, reddest tomato, and we would pick it. He said, we're going to have us a tomato sandwich today for lunch along with our homemade French fries. And then, of course, we'd have cucumbers, and Mima would have those cucumbers soaking in vinegar along with some onions as well. And then once we got to the dinner table, we'd pour a little salt and pepper on it. And before you know it, we're looking at this table around lunchtime. We've got homemade French fries and tomato sandwiches and cucumbers and onions and corn on the cob, all of which came from the garden. But it didn't stop there. My grandfather had baskets and baskets and baskets. And what he would do is he would go out to the garden and he would fill those baskets with the various fruits and vegetables and he would put them in the back of his car and he would ride around Childersburg and he would drop off fruits and vegetables to the pastor of the church, to his children and his grandchildren, to other people whom he knew either would love it or appreciate it or possibly even need it. This is the picture. This is the picture that the proverb is saying. It's saying, listen, if you have a hand of diligence, it will make you rich, and that richness will overflow in blessing for yourself and your family and for those who can use it. I want to tell you something today, that while lazy people are empty people, diligent people are full. They are full of motivation. They are full of vision. They are full of worship. They are full of love. And all of that produces the glory of God, the blessing to other people, 
and personal happiness because you realize that you're doing exactly what God has created you to do. That's the fullness of diligence. The third principle that we learn from this passage is the honor of diligence. The honor of diligence. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. Gathering is to pick individual crops from their place of growth and then bring them all together in one group. Now, summertime is harvest time. Fruits and vegetables were planted in the spring and then they grow and develop until they become ripe in the summer. And so what this proverb is saying is that the son, the the young man who gathers the crops in the summer during harvest time is a son who demonstrates consideration for the future and concern for the family. Consideration for the future and concern for the family. This is a young man who tends the family garden every day. He keeps his eyes on it. He exercises care and excellence and precision and thoroughness in the upkeep of it. And so he knows when he should pick every fruit and every vegetable at its optimal time. He knows that if he picks a crop too early, it'll never develop into its full potential. He also knows that if he waits too late, its nutrients and taste and value will be significantly decreased, if not destroyed. He he knows that if he picks a small green tomato the size of a ping pong ball, it's too early. If he picks a big orange tomato with cracks and wrinkles and flies all around it, he's waited way too late. But if he picks a red, round tomato that is smooth, that is maybe slightly green at the top, he knows that he can wash it and bundle it and take it down to the market and sell it for top dollar. And then he can help provide his family for everything that they need for a life of worship and fellowship. And so what this proverb is saying is that if you are diligent in your work, you will bring honor upon yourself and happiness to your family. Yesterday morning, I got the opportunity to spend about 45 minutes with a man in his early 70s. And I asked him about his children. And his son got his undergraduate degree in international business. And then he stayed in school and and learned the Chinese language and the Chinese culture. He worked very hard as a student in order to not only learn business and to not only learn Chinese, but to integrate both his understanding of Chinese and his understanding of business such that he moved over to China. And he's been working there for nearly 20 years, serving as the chief financial officer of major companies, companies of which you are aware. And what he has now done is he has established his own company that will provide and deliver groceries to people's homes who have a hard time getting out of their home. And it's done all on the internet. And man, as I, as I listened to this dad, he was beaming with pride in his son. I want to ask you why. Why would this dad be so proud to tell me about his son? It's because his son is prudent. His son had a consideration for the future, a concern to provide for his family, a vision. He had motivation. He had excellence 
and he went out after it. Listen, I want to tell you that diligent people are honorable people. They bring honor upon themselves. They bring honor upon their families. They bring honor upon their Savior, Jesus Christ. Just reading through the Bible, what you'll find is one of the most honorable, one of the most honorable men in the Bible is Joseph, Jacob's son. We read about him in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. If you can recall, Pharaoh had a dream. There were seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, and nobody could interpret the dream, but Joseph could. Joseph had a gift from God where he could interpret dreams properly. And what Joseph interpreted is that there would be seven years of abundant crops, seven years of abundant harvest, but then there would be seven years of drought, seven years of famine. And Joseph said, this is what we need to do. We, we need to store up the crops when we have the seven years of abundance so that we can provide for the nation in the seven years of emptiness. And what happened? It's exactly what they did. And they filled their barns and storehouses with, with all of these harvested crops. And when the seven lean years came, what happened? The, the nation of Egypt was able to survive. People were able to live and even thrive. And countries, nations that were all around Egypt flocked to Egypt in order to gain the food and the resources that they need needed to sustain their life. I'll tell you something. Joseph was a diligent worker and he was an honorable man because he was a prudent, a prudent son and a prudent worker. And God is calling you and I to do the same. He's calling us to a life of prudence, a life of diligence that we might be an honor to our families and an honor to our God most specifically. The fourth principle that we learn is the disgrace of laziness. The disgrace of laziness. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. This word for sleep means to fall into a deep, heavy sleep when it's time to gather. Bruce Waltke defines it as a sleep that is so deep, so traumatic, so narcotic-like that he's unconscious of his surroundings. And, and when the word was defined like that, the first person that we think of in the Old Testament that entered into a sleep that is so deep, so traumatic, and so narcotic-like that he's unconscious of his surroundings is, is Jonah. If you can remember Jonah, Jonah is this prophet of God. He is an Israelite. He is a man that is supposed to represent God to the people. And, and, and God brings to to Jonah a message and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach the message of repentance to Nineveh so that they can be saved and not destroyed. And Jonah essentially says, I don't want Nineveh to be saved. I want them to be destroyed. And so I'm going to go the exact opposite way that God is telling me to go. And so he boards a, a ship that is heading the opposite direction. And God, in his grace, toward Nineveh and in his grace even toward Jonah sends a massive storm it is flooding it is raining the wind is blowing the lightning is striking the thunder is just this 
coming out of the air. Even the professional sailors who are used to having bad weather are scared to death. The boat is about to just tip over. Everybody's about to die. And you ask the question, where is Jonah on this boat? He's fast asleep. He is fast asleep. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about laziness. If you allow yourself to disobey the clear instructions from a good and gracious God, and you turn away from them, and you don't do what He's called you to do, then you will be not only content in your rebellion, but you will become sleepy, narcotic-like in your consciousness of God's will for your life, and you will get very, very, very content and comfortable in your laziness. Picture with me for a moment that it's, it's 1,000 B.C. It's the time of David, Solomon, and the nation of Israel. Imagine a 21-year-old son whose parents have to take a trip to, to their ailing parents somewhere far off. And so these parents entrust the farmland to their son. But without the accountability of his parents, the son stays out late every night. He sleeps in through lunch every day. He pays no attention to the crops. And the family has the lowest yield they've ever had. And so when the parents get back from their trip, they find themselves completely unprepared to live through the winter and the spring with limited food, limited money, and limited resources. And I want to tell you right now that this young man is a disgrace to his family. He is a disgrace. He has brought shame upon his family. Because you see, anyone who shuns hard work and embraces laziness is a disgrace to God and His people. If you're lazy in your work, you will bring disgrace upon yourself and shame upon your family. Because lazy people are dishonorable people. They dishonor themselves, they dishonor their family, they dishonor their church, and they dishonor their Savior. So the four principles about work reveal whether or not you really do have a heart for the glory of God and the blessing of other people and the honor of even your own life. It's the emptiness of laziness, the fullness of diligence, the honor of diligence, and the disgrace of laziness. I want to give you a little bit of insight into my sermon preparation each week. One of the first prayers that I pray every week is, Lord, would you help me to understand the meaning of this text and how it points to Jesus Christ? Would you, would you show me how this text points to my need for Christ? And, and how does Christ meet that need? And how should I respond to Christ? Because He has met that need. And so I want to tell you, I just want to give you a little insight in what the Lord showed me through the week. The first thing is that the, the, the idea of this text is that diligent work produces wealth and honor. 
while laziness produces poverty and shame. That's the idea. It is not complex. It is important. It is significant. Diligence produces wealth and honor. Laziness produces poverty and shame. How does, it, how does it more fully show us our need for Christ? Listen, Christ-centered diligence produces wealth and honor while me-centered laziness brings poverty and shame. Wealthy Christians are a blessing to their family and friends and faith community. They use their wealth for the advancement of the gospel and the encouragement of others. The honor they achieve is ultimately directed toward Jesus for His glory and not their own because they know it is Jesus Christ in them who did the work and deserves the glory. Whereas lazy people who are poor and dishonorable negatively affect their family and friends and faith community. They're a burden and not a blessing because they force others to pick up their slack, do their work, meet the needs of their family. And for this reason, they are a source of discouragement and dishonor. Laziness is a sign that I want physical comfort and personal glory more than I want anything else. And I must know, and you must know, that the human heart is bent toward laziness. And this bent reveals our inclination toward self-worship. Self-worship sends people to hell. Because God has clearly said, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, laziness is nothing more than an attempt to place yourself at the center of the universe and to tell everyone around you, serve me, love me, worship me, do everything for me while I sit back and soak in the glory of my sloth. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus comes to the earth He rejects laziness. He embraces diligence in all things. He works hard at loving God. He works hard at loving people. He tells His disciples that He came not to be served, but to serve. And then He picks up a towel and a basin and works hard to wash sinners' feet. And then He ultimately goes to the cross and He works hard to pay the penalty for self-worshipping sluggards like you and like me. And then He rises from the dead. And in doing so, He defeats the spirit of slothfulness and distributes the spirit of God-glorifying diligence to all who will put their faith, their trust in Him alone. And apart from this transforming work of Christ, I will be lazy in the areas that I want to be lazy. And I will work hard in the areas that I want to work hard. But you need to see that both my laziness and my self-centered diligence will be for my glory and not His. And they will both condemn me, not save me. But when I put my faith in Jesus, His Spirit comes inside of me and makes me see the destructive trajectory of laziness and the life-giving trajectory of diligence. And He makes me want to reject laziness. And He makes me want to embrace hard work for His glory and my joy and the overall blessing of every person in my life. That's what the Gospel does 
through Jesus Christ. Without the mindset of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, you and I will be lazy in key areas. We'll be lazy in our worship. We won't work hard at worshiping God. We'll be lazy in our fellowship. We won't work hard at loving other Christians. We'll be lazy in our discipleship. We won't work hard at learning from and following Jesus. We'll be lazy in our mission. We will definitely not work hard at advancing the gospel at personal cost. We'll be lazy in our friendships. We'll be lazy in being a, a, a faithful son or daughter, a faithful dad or mom, a la- faithful grandparent. We'll be lazy in being a neighbor. We'll be lazy. But when we embrace the good news of salvation through faith in the person and work of Jesus, we will see that the gospel saves me from eternal punishment from our sins. But it not only saves me from death and hell, but it saves us from a life of laziness and self-centered work. And it saves us to a life of self-sacrificing labor and daily diligence for the glory of Jesus Christ, the advancement of the gospel, the blessing of our family and friends and church and world. And it'll save us from sitting on the throne of our own kingdom and saves us to picking up a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand to be a soldier and a servant in the building of Christ's kingdom. May he do that work in our church for his glory and our joy that we may know the honor, that we may know the riches of diligent work. Amen.